It's Friday, and we are working for Crusoe. Sam Park and John Ramey with you back after a one-week hiatus due to travel. Travel is not keeping us off the air and off the internet this week. Uh, I am joining uh, you all from Frankfurt, Germany, and uh, Sam is in Los Angeles. Sam, you're back from New England, so welcome home. Correct. Thank you. Um, very exciting week. We have a jobs report, which is good but not great for the U.S. labor market. We have Janet Yellen, the, can we call her impish uh, secretary treasurer, uh, secretary of the treasury? Uh, I don't know if I'd go that far. Imp- impishness to me uh, implies a certain level of mischief, which I don't think is is really appropriate in her case. That's fair. Um, but certainly somebody said she's the good cop to uh, Blinken's bad cop. And I like that. I think that's the yeah, that, that's that's pretty apt. And then um, Evgeny Brigosian, the head of the Wagner group, uh, after his mutiny in Russia, actually isn't in Belarus, according to Lukashenko, the president of Belarus. So, um, yeah, lots lots to talk about. Let's start with the jobs. Um, OK. U.S. employers added two hundred and nine thousand jobs. That is down from what expectations were and down a little bit from May. Um, ADP had come out with a jobs report of their own, like an anticipated jobs report that was much higher. And yeah, like so, half a million jobs. They yeah, yeah. ADP, yeah. by the way, for listeners who don't know, is a private payroll firm. Uh, and they routinely come out with their own forecasts of job growth and or loss. Uh, but they are not the uh, Bureau of Labor. No, they are. They are a private firm. Yeah. So two hundred nine thousand jobs added in June. The unemployment uh, unemployment rate is three point six percent. It was three point seven percent in May. Thirty consecutive month of gains in American payrolls. But the June number of two hundred nine thousand is the lowest total since the streak began back in two thousand twenty. That's correct. Wages grew a little bit more than anticipated, rising 0.4% over the previous month and 4.4% over June of last year. So some inflationary pressure, but but it's um, it's that slight. That containable, I would yeah. say. Yeah. I mean, there's no danger of a wage price spiral, as we discussed right. in previous episodes. So uh golly it looks like um the fed is actually getting their soft landing i I mean uh, in reading the coverage of this jobs report it is essentially everybody wants to talk about how this means there isn't a recession coming and i always feel like that's kind of a bolt-on narrative to the job data jobs data and the inflation data well yeah i mean i guess so but that's the reason that we look at this data right is to see if there's going to be a recession right i mean if there wasn't going to, you know, if there if it wasn't going to have any impact on the economy, then why bother finding out about inflation or jobs, right? I mean that you know it's not. I, I wouldn't say it's bolted on so much as just you know the whole big ball of wax, right? Uh, and so, so far it looks pretty good, right? For uh, and I guess there will be implications for whether or not the Fed will continue to raise interest rates. Right. I think they've been saying that they expect that they're going to. In fact, uh, a day or two ago, the minutes of their last meeting were also released. 
And at that point, there seemed to be a consensus. Now, keep in mind that their last meeting was a month ago. Uh, uh, and so there seemed to be a consensus that they would have perhaps a couple more rate hikes this year. I don't know if this particular jobs report is going to have any impact on their thinking in that regard. We'll have to wait and see. But as you were saying, it does seem as though things are working out the way the the Federal Reserve would like them to do. And we can hope that they're right about that. And that is essentially the Fed has raised interest rates enough so that the job market has cooled off and so has inflation, but it has not pushed the economy into a recession. Exactly. My question uh, is, Sam, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but my no, question is, ahead. why is this jobs report now when all the not all, but several of the um, the analysts can say, well, it looks like there's no recession. Like, was it just because it's June? Like, why is this one making everybody say, look, there is no recession imminent? Because I think it's because there are still jobs being added, right? But they're not being added uh, so rapidly that the Fed would feel compelled to raise interest rates aggressively and tip the economy into a recession. I think that's basically how this boils down. It's it's sort of a question of balance, right? These that the uh the elements of the economy are perhaps not in balance, but they're not so far out of whack that urgent action would be required that might have dire economic consequences. I think that's uh so you know, I think you you and I and almost all of our listeners have probably heard commentators talk about the Goldilocks scenario, right? Neither too hot nor too cold, right? So again, it's this element of balance that uh, is what the Fed is trying to achieve here with seemingly some success, knock on wood. The Fed meets again July 25th and 26th. And we would not be at all surprised if there was another hike, but mid fives, right? Nothing dramatic. I would say, yeah. I mean, I would imagine it would be another quarter point hike, which is what they've been doing lately. Uh, and again, uh, depending on any intervening economic data, they may in fact decide to just hold steady and not raise or cut rates at their next meeting uh, because from the minutes of their last meeting, they seem to think that there would be as many as two more rate hikes this year. So they would still have a couple more, you know, a number of more opportunities between the end, between now and the end of the year to raise rates, even if they didn't decide to raise them this month. Anything else you want to touch on regarding the jobs report? Not, not, not so much. I mean, it's it's getting to be a sort of routine exercise uh and uh and generally the news has been very positive i can't really think of too many more dramatic implications that it might have i mean do we do we have an image of uh chairman powell like fist pumping the air with every uh report that has job growth but slightly cooler than the last one (laughs) honestly i think that that i don't know about fist pumping he doesn't seem like that sort of fellow to me but uh but i think you know He'd come in for 
a great deal of criticism earlier this year, especially as we recall during the, the banking difficulties that we had. And uh, so at, at least I think we can say that he's feeling a little bit less pressure today than he was in the in the springtime. And you know what? It's summer. He deserves to, to take a little break, just like all the rest of them. Oh, that's funny. You mentioned that. I now just have an image of uh, uh, Chairman Powell at a barbecue, just kind of sure, talk, yeah. talking about his job like everybody else. All yeah, right. Exactly. On to Janet Yellen, the uh, Treasury Secretary, who is in China. Uh, a rather quick follow-up uh, high-level cabinet person uh, going over to meet with Chinese governmental officials after the Blinken uh, meeting. Um, she is meeting with Chinese Premier Li Qiang. Yes. And that... In the Great Hall of the People. Right. The um, but it's interesting that, that there's a Chinese Premier in addition to a Chinese president. Well, France has the same thing. They have a president and a prime minister. Right. Right. Uh, and, you know, it is unusual, right? Not too many. I but, guess I understand prime minister, but for me, I guess premier is the same as prime minister. It I basically guess. is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, uh, for instance, Germany has a president and a chancellor. But in most countries that have that sort of dual leadership structure, the president is mainly a ceremonial title, right? Uh, uh, for instance, Israel also has a president. Right, but the prime uh, minister runs the show. Exactly. Uh, it's mainly countries like, uh, I can't think of too many others that fit into this category, but you have France and China uh, where the president is the big boss and the prime minister just sort of sees after the nuts and bolts of day-to-day -day operations. So the it's the president who sets the overall strategic vision for the country but leaves it to the prime minister, or in China's case, the premier, uh, to, to sort of administer the day-to-day -day operations. Now, I think that it can vary from president to president. I, you know, uh, we think of Xi Jinping as being the most powerful Chinese leader since Mao Zedong, which was quite a long time ago, and... Uh, so he might, you know, supervise Li Qiang a bit more directly than previous Chinese presidents have supervised their prime their premiers. I don't know that that's true. I, it's just what it would fit very well uh, with our sort of conception of Xi Jinping as this all powerful leader. Premier Li noted that a rainbow appeared over Beijing as Yellen landed on Thursday and indicated that might bode well for the future of the relationship between China and the United States. He said, quote, I think there is more to China-U.S. relations than just wind and rain. We will surely see more rainbows after going through the wind and rain. I thought that was rather poetic and optimistic from Premier Li. So, yeah. Yeah, but it basic seems, it, oh, go ahead. No, it seems as though this trip is going rather well, right? Uh and I mean, Yellen is very, I said impish earlier, I guess that might be a bit, I mean, yeah, she's not mischievous, but she's got a twinkle in her eye when you see her in interviews, right? Yes. I mean, you don't usually get that from a secretary of treasury. No. Uh, and I think uh, she is different from 
uh, for instance, I remember when she was appointed, uh, one of the things I thought was interesting about her was that she'd never previously worked for a financial firm. Uh, and this is unusual for recent secretaries of the Treasury. Uh, and I thought that that was encouraging just because there's a there's an idea that uh, our government is sort of captive of the financial sector. And I think that, that this is an idea that has no small amount of justification. Ben so, Bernanke would be the great example recently. Or, you know, you could go back, you know, uh, uh, Tim Geithner, right? right? Uh, Robert Reich. I mean, I'm sorry, not Robert, Robert Rubin, I meant to say. Yes. Uh, you know, you could go back quite actually, I think with George W. Bush, his first tre- treasury secretary, I believe, was Paul O'Neill, who had been a railroad executive. So we'd have to go back uh, 20 years or so to, but, uh, you know, but even before that, some of Clinton's treasury secretaries had also been employees of investment banks. So uh, Yellen, and of course, is also our first female treasury secretary. So she's distinctive in a number of different ways from others who have held her post in the past. But so far, uh, it seems, you know, there's still many disagreements. But for myself, whenever there's high-level talks between China and the United States, one resource I always like to consult is the Global Times, which is the English-language newspaper, I guess we would say, but of course I don't read it on paper. Uh, but they are a, com- a Chinese Communist Party organ. And so we can think of the, and uh, I would encourage our listeners to, you know, go to globaltimes.cn just to see what Global Times says. Of course, it's always going to be the party line. Right. It's, uh, it's, um, it's the Chinese narrative. Yes. It's what the Chinese government would like us to think in the English speaking world about things that are going on in China. Uh, for instance, back when there were the enormous protests last year, they, the Global Times said almost nothing about them whatsoever. Uh, and so this is not something that we should take literally. But in their coverage of Yellen's visit, they talked about all the same things that you and I have talked about so far. And, but they sort of outsourced all the America bashing content to academics, right? Sort of professors of business or economics at very you know, prestigious Chinese universities, you know, who were saying, well, the United States has to show us more respect, blah, 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 things like this. But they did not put those sort of sentiments in the mouths of Chinese officials. Uh, And so there's a certain amount of decoding we have to do when we read the Global Times. But if you once you get used to engaging in that process, it's illuminating. illuminating. Absolutely. Uh, and you are by no means suggesting that be the only source of information, but it is. It's, Far from it, it. it. It's it, it's a bit. You know, I've I read one uh, analyst say it's like the Fox News of China, which isn't true because it is actually the party line. It's not an independent uh, information source. But and they don't. It doesn't pretend to be I, right. 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 Uh, and uh, but there are still. I mean. There are many difficulties still that beset the relations between the United States and China. For example, just 
I think probably when Yellen was on the plane, uh, the Chinese government announced that they would be instituting export restrictions on a couple of different rare earth minerals. That is gallium and germanium. I'm so uh, glad you actually know the mineral, the the elements or the metals in question here. I had not seen those listed. Well, one. Uh, I know they're perhaps, good for semiconductors and, and solar panels. Correct. Uh, and one perhaps overly clever commentator thought it might be a, a kind of backhanded dig at France and Germany. Uh, <laughs> I think that's probably a bit much, but it is, as you know, your reaction can testify it is kind of a humorous. I mean, if we're going on periodic table of the element puns, it's a bit yeah, flimsy. Right. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, it makes for good TV. Uh, and <laughs> so I guess <laughs> now I, sh- I would like to stress here, right, that this is not a ban on exports of gallium and germanium. It's just that Chinese companies that would like to export these minerals need to apply for export licenses in order to do so. Uh, and so and so far. There's been no interruption, right? And there may not be. You might just apply for a license and be granted the license and just ship your rocks out. Uh, I think this is more of a kind of posture, right? Saying, look, you in the United States are trying to stop us from getting advanced semiconductors. Well, good luck. Building your own. Yeah. Yeah, getting them for yourselves if you can't get these minerals. And... Now, I don't want to get too far out in gaming this, right? But there, I mean, they are called rare earths for a reason. But it's not like China does produce the overwhelming majority of them, but other places have them. The problem is that mining rare earths is very difficult. Uh, you have to move lots and lots and lots of dirt to get any worthwhile quantity of gallium and germanium out of the earth it's not like and, iron or coal or something like this and maybe uh, in china with regulations with regard to environmental restrictions and mining it's just easier to get positive results from a business exactly perspective. right yeah and so uh in order to kind of make up for the shortfall there would have to be uh a, you know it would be a big political lift in a democratic society, just not, you know, not to put too fine a point on it. Uh, and so that's, I think, the kind of posture that China is trying to strike here. At the same time, though, it can be done. Rare earths can be dug out of the ground, right? Uh, that's difficult, but it might be easier to replace Chinese rare earths than it would be for China to replace the chips from which they are made. Uh, And so the Chinese, I would think, and I think they know this, right? But they might want to be a little careful about this. And I think that's why it's not a ban, right? They're not saying we're never going to give you any gallium or germanium ever again. They're saying, well, you know, uh, you might want to be careful about this. And so this is one of many different uh, the difficulties that still exist and will continue to exist for some time between our two countries. Uh, and so I'm sure that all many of these things have been discussed, including ones that we haven't uh, seen any reporting on. 
Another good example is that uh, it's become very difficult to get any information about Chinese companies if you're a United States investor. Uh, you know, things just routinely available. What, like quarterly reports? Yeah, they, you know, just you know what what you know, and or detailed quarterly reports, for example, right? How 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 do your revenue streams break down and things like things that. investors might want to know. Yeah, they might want to know these things, and uh, and they've been you know poking around with uh, sort of business consultancy, uh, Western business consultancy firms that are operating in China. Who these are the firms that provide this sort of information to uh, Western uh, investors, right? They, they have people on the ground in China who look into these firms for you, and you can just pay them to tell you what you want to know. But it's become very difficult for these firms to operate. They've been facing sort of intrusive uh, inquiries from Chinese authorities in recent months to an extent that they never have before, or at least not in many years. Uh, and so... Uh, all of these tensions uh, are going to persist, but that's why you send Janet Yellen across the ocean. So Janet Yellen is talking about germanium restrictions and more transparent um, data for Western investors. The fact that these seem to be kind of the, the, the headlines of her visit, is that indicative of the overall low expectation kind of paradigm for this visit, or I, I is it so, just yeah. a is it just a wonky visit? Well, I mean, uh, Yellen, as many of the news stories about this visit have indicated, is talking about macroeconomic relations, and that that's what you would expect. Right. As the Treasury Secretary, that's really her purview. Yeah, she's not talking national security. No. And but she's also not talking about very specific business issues. Right. That would be more in the realm of uh, Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo. Right. Uh, uh, And so Yellen, as the Treasury Secretary, is really keeping an eye on the big picture uh thing you know rare earths are you know and this whole business about microchips that's a big deal right that touches every aspect of the economy right uh people are talking about microchips as the new petroleum right uh and you we've learned the hard lessons of the past of not wanting to get your petroleum from a small number of countries, let alone one, right? Uh, and so uh, there's a strategic element here that Yellen has to be cognizant of, even though it's not entirely under her umbrella, right? It is partly, but not entirely. All right. Any other notes on Yellen in China? Well, she's still there, as far as I can tell. I, yeah. I, I think that that she's coming back maybe tonight, uh, but I'm not I'm not even exactly sure about that. Uh, I think that there was uh, quite a lot that was not said. From what I understand, uh, the meeting with Lee 
uh, went on for one hour when it had been scheduled for a half hour. Uh, so uh, I think we can take that as a good sign also. But in terms of the particulars of what might have been discussed, I think there's quite a lot we'll never find out. That might actually be a good pivot to the Wagner story. Right. Speaking is, of things we don't understand or yeah, won't right, know about. You know, think, things that we're never going to know about, right? Uh, which, uh, as our regular listeners will recall, during our last, when we were recording our last episode two weeks ago today, the Wagner mutiny had just begun, right? Uh, and I don't think we even knew that it actually even had begun, but Yevgeny uh, Prigozhin, the head of the Wagner group, had announced. He issued his he, call to march. Yes, and uh, the march for justice, uh, and which did take place, right? Uh, but a day later, it was over. I mean, uh, it's hilarious he called it that. It sounds like a civil rights protest or something. Yeah, right, exactly, right? <laughs> uh, but uh, now, as we know, the Wagner Group, is named after the great German composer of the 19th century, Richard Wagner, uh, not just because of his genius musical talent, but mainly, in fact, because of his ideological positions, which were no proto fascist. Yes, and they were, you know, he was Hitler's favorite composer. Yeah. Uh, and uh, not, again, not just because of the music. Uh, now, for myself, uh, I don't uh, especially enjoy listening to Wagner once the overture is done, right? As soon as a lot of people start singing, you know, there's all these characters who, you know, <laughs> uh, are very full of themselves and, you know, think that they hold the destiny of the world in their hands. And it's just a long, complicated story that literally lasts until the end of time. Uh, and so I rapidly lose patience with it. Uh, in a way, it's good that we have been off for two weeks because after the first day of this episode was over, we have gotten, I would say, no reliable information whatsoever. That uh, would include uh, Belarusian President Alexander Lukashenko holding a press conference on the 6th, Thursday, yeah. saying, uh, Evgeny Rogozhin's not here, man. Yeah, um, after, after telling us I don't know, a few days, I, I was traveling, so I don't know exactly when he said this, but after telling us that he, in fact, was there. But there's yeah. been no actual sighting of Prigozhin in Belarus. That we have no confidence, and this is exactly what I'm getting at. And Lukashenko's right? not exactly reliable, but he is the president, and he did call a press conference. Yeah, he. I mean, it wasn't as if, you know, someone cornered him. He called the reporters into his chambers to tell them we, that Prigozhin he's was not, here, not man. in Belarus. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and, he, and he went on to say that Prigozhin is in St. Petersburg, but may not be there. You know, he had been in St. Petersburg, but may not be there anymore. Well, Russian forces had raided, have now raided uh, Yevgeny uh, Prigozhin's uh, St. Petersburg residence. Yes. At he was not the there. Same, at about the same time. That is, they say they did. And they showed pictures of what they said was the raid. But I've never I been guess, to Prigozhin's yeah, house, right? Yeah. You know, there's could be any number of houses in in Saint Petersburg in Saint Petersburg that look like that, right? And so, meanwhile, Putin's spoke per, spokesman uh, Dmitry Peskov said, "Well, we're not 
keeping track of Prigozhin's movements, and we have no opportunity or desire to do so. Right? And I'm like, that can't be true. <laughs> you, you, you don't know how to track this guy? That's Sam, I think not- it's totally true because he's dead. Perhaps. I, I mean, right? that, but- listen, I'm wildly speculating, but he's dead. Yeah, but the point I'm making is that uh, Lukashenko says one thing. Peskov says something else, right? right? Uh, they, it, none of it makes sense, right? but I think that's the point, right, is that what both of these guys at Putin's behest are saying is don't even try to make sense of this, right? We're just going to fog everything over, and you're never going to know. Uh, and maybe he's dead. Maybe he's alive. Right. Maybe we'll bring him back. And I think it's worth remembering for, you know, people who have been talking for two weeks now, but all this is terrible. I mean, it's like a bad television show going into the break before the next season. Yeah. Right. And, and you know, people are you know, Putin might be fatally undermined and maybe he will be. OK, I'm not you know, this is certainly not good for him. Right. But I think it's important to keep things in mind. Right. Uh, during the Second World War. They actually did set off a bomb to try and kill Hitler, right? A number of German generals tried to take him out and fail, right? Hitler did eventually fall, but it wasn't because of that. No, right? Operation Valkyrie, just to come back to Wagner. Exactly, right. Yeah, uh, ironically, right? Uh, it wasn't because of that plot that Hitler fell, okay? And more recently, uh, there was a full-on military coup against Recep Tayyip Erdogan in Turkey, Uh that did not actually undermine his power in any way. It was terrible for him, right? It, you know, it was not something he wanted to happen, but he used that as an opportunity to just further consolidate his own power. And as we know, he just was reelected as the president of Turkey. So again, this isn't good for Putin, but it's not something that, I mean, that, that coup in Turkey was much more serious than what Prigozhin just did in Russia, as serious as that was. Uh, and so the, there's just been and the thing that that just as you know, I'm a fan of European media, right, especially for things like the war, which is, you know, obviously closer to them than than, than it is to us. And so they have a be- bigger stake in commenting on. It. But basically, Putin via Lukashenko, and this is just my interpretation, mind you, right, but via Lukashenko and Peskov yesterday just you know, played a game with the entire European media and to some extent the American media, and, and they just bit, right? They, 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 they were just suckers for it all day long. Meanwhile, in the actual war yesterday, the western city of Ukraine, Lviv, came under its most intense bombardment since the beginning of the war. That wasn't the headline, right? It was, where's Prigozhin? And I'm like, okay, one of these things is more important than the other, and you picked the wrong one. And I just find this dispiriting, right? Is that this, you know, a mutiny or a coup, or whatever you want to call, it, happened two weeks ago, and nothing has really happened with it since then. But people cannot stop talking about it, and here we are doing it ourselves. Sure, right? But, but well, we it's because it's fascinating. It is, but I'm just glad, you know, uh, we made the editorial decision. Well, we're not going to lead with this, right? No. I mean, uh, and and mainly what we're talking about with it is that this is just silly, right? This, uh, 
uh, let's not be chumps, all right? That Putin was trying to make the entire Western media a bunch of chumps yesterday, and he succeeded. Uh, and I think that's just shameful, right? Uh, and the fact is, as you say, it is a kind of delicious story, right? right. There's, like, you know, uh, uh, you know, just like many people like Wagnerian opera. I don't personally care for it so much, but a lot of people do, and it is in many ways compelling on a certain level. But this is just stupid. And as you and I have sort of uh, commented offline, but so much of this whole episode of the war is just a stupid farcical replay of the 20th century, right? Uh, and that's the tragedy of it, actually, right? Is that there's no good reason for any of this, uh, except for just ideological stupidity. And, uh, you know, it's just so saddening to me anyway. Yeah, the folly of man doesn't seem to have um, concluded in the 20th century. It seems to be uh, well with us here in the 21st. Yeah, it will go on. And I think uh, that uh, so much of this is just about uh, Putin's fear of his country losing status, right? Uh, you know, nobody... You, Nobody would care about Janet Yellen going to Moscow, right? You know, there's not, you know, these thorny economic relations that we need to maintain with Russia, right? Uh, uh, there's not this really Byzantine dependency that we have on the Russian economy, right? But we have to send somebody to China. And I think that's more of, than anything what this whole war is about, is that we're going to be left in the dust, and uh, it's just it's just shameful. And so much of it is about climate change, right? Uh, is that if people don't need to buy petroleum from us, then what are we good for? Uh, and that's a fair point. But Putin has had 20 years to try and make his economy into some other kind of, of economy. There's apparently a lot of very talented IT professionals in Russia, right, uh, that are hacking people all the time but they have never developed a legitimate IT sector to, to capitalize on this talent that they have. And it's just an enormous missed opportunity just because we would rather have some kind of national greatness, apparently. Speaking of climate, uh, the NOAA, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, uh, pointed out uh, with not verified data, because they only give out monthly data, so this is like uh, un, um, unconfirmed weekly data, but it's still the NOAA. They're not just making stuff up out of whole cloth. Uh, the average temperature of the Earth hit and has remained at a record high for four several days, day, four days in yeah. a row, right? Yeah. Uh, 44 years of record keeping. So this is not like going back to the middle 19th century with regard to the average temperature of the planet. But still, it's not good. No. And, uh, of course, climate change is, is one of the areas that uh, we would like to be able to cooperate with China on. Uh, but it did not seem to be directly addressed in uh, Secretary Yellen's meeting with the Chinese premier. At least it hasn't been reported as such. But uh, we have our own climate envoy in John Kerry. Uh, so... And there will be climate talks later this year amongst many nations. So we can hope that there might be some kind of 
movement on that score also. And uh, again, I think one of the great tragedies of our time is that uh, we're there are so many other things keeping our attention that the the most important issue is being left uh, or is not receiving quite as much attention as we might wish it would. We've left it to the end of the episode. So shame on us. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, but again, all these other things are getting in the way. And that's, I think, the shame of it all. Okay. Next week, Bastille Day, the 14th, we will be off as uh, I will be in transit back to the United States. And we will resume on the 21st of July with the well, next. Speaking of climate, though, how's the yeah. weather there? It's very warm here in okay, uh, yeah. in Germany. It, um, it was warm in Cologne. Yeah. And uh, is a warm evening here in Frankfurt, and uh, temperature is expected to be around 90 degrees Fahrenheit uh, for a high wow. uh, this weekend. Yeah, there's supposed to be a lot of rain also, I think. Yeah. Uh, Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll be hot and sunny tomorrow, and then hot and rainy on Sunday. Well, good luck with it all, and, and enjoy your time in Germany. I know you've never been there before. It's a large and uh, complicated country, but it's very nice in many ways. Yeah, I'm enjoying it so far, but it's only been a few hours. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll expect a fuller report after you've had time to acclimate yourself. Yes. And uh, like I said, we're off next uh, Friday on the 14th, but we'll be back on the 21st. Uh, questions, comments, guest suggestions, story ideas, um, really any thoughts you may have, uh, John Ramey Media at gmail.com. For Sam Park, I'm John Ramey. Have yourselves a great weekend. Bye-bye, everybody.